Shalom and welcome to The Vibe of the Tribe, a podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm your host, Mary Mansman, here with my co-host, Dan Seligson. Hi, Dan. Shalom, Miriam. 37 years ago, nearly to the day, the world's greatest and arguably least ethical archaeologist of all time was introduced to American filmgoers. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, about a fast-talking, artifact-stealing, bring-a-gun-to-a-sword-fight adventurer, opened in the U.S. to rave reviews. It has been described as the perfect adventure and an out-of-body experience of glorious imagination. It was nominated for no less than nine Academy Awards, winning five. Raiders pretty much changed the game when it came to visual effects and movie stunts. My dad had an actual copy of the script laying around our library growing up, which helped me appreciate this film's brilliant structure and pace, and Indiana Jones was our go-to costume for Purim on several occasions. It's one of my top five films to watch and re-watch, up there with Seven Samurai, Princess Bride, Mad Max Fury Road, and Thor Ragnarok. And of course, it contained an all-important real-world Torah lesson for a bunch of Nazi bastards. Those bastards. So let me just start by saying that this movie was extremely important in my life. Um, I saw it when I was very young, and I pretty much was quoting this movie throughout my entire existence. In college, when a friend would say something disappointing, my freshman roommate would say, Yes, maybe you could warn them, if only you spoke Hovitos. If someone offered us a refill at a restaurant, we would say, we are not thirsty, Fraulein, in a very thick German accent. Indiana Jones is basically part of our everyday speech in a movie that no self-respecting child of the 80s would see less than a dozen times. And of course, own it on VHS, Beta, or the newly emerging technology, the two-sided laser disc. So imagine my surprise when I was talking to a colleague about it and she said, nope, never seen it. Ashley, a 27-year-old content expert from Jewish Boston, is Egyptian. She has a severe snake phobia. She's never seen the movie that is exactly 10 years older than her that is steeped in Jewish content, snakes, and Egypt. This bothered me, so I had to look into it further. And I called Miriam for help. Indiana Jones and Ashley Jacobs had to meet. Ashley, welcome to the pod. Splendid to be here. <laughs> Rewatching this movie was so much fun, especially since all three of us watched it together so we could see Ashley's face and give her trigger warnings when there were imminent snakes. Yep. <laughs> Let's go around and give some of our initial thoughts. Spoilers abound in this podcast, so if it's taken you 37 years to see this film, we suggest you come back after you watch it. All right, Dan, what's your take after seeing it a million times? Uh, I would say, honestly, this is probably my 45th time seeing it. Mm -hmm. I can't believe how amazing it still is. I think, you know, you try to look for flaws when you're watching on this HD TV and you're trying to see like, yeah, how did they got up? And, you know, is it, how did they, you know, these effects, do they still hold up? There's no CGI. And the fact that there's no CGI, it looks better and it looks so real and you believe it. I'm amazed by that. And I find this movie still enthralling paced so well, filmed so amazingly well, and so unbelievably well directed and acted. I'm such a fanboy, I should stop talking now. It really doesn't have some of the third act issues that a lot of action movies have now. That's something I noticed on the rewatch. All right, Ashley, this was a first for you. Tell us about the experience of watching this movie with us. Harrison Ford, you know, he's great. Um, it was interesting, the scene when they're opening the arc I was trying not to laugh so hard at it. Um, but again, you know, 37 years old. 
Uh, I just thought it was really interesting. I loved the story. I loved how it opened when he's like on this cool mission and going through the tomb and there are all of these booby traps and stuff. Like I love that. It was just so exciting and just so much fun. It was like, oh, I want to do that. You know, just go on these crazy adventures. So I want you to know that in 1981, nobody laughed in the theater during the arc opening scene. <laughs> We were on the edge of our seats, and when they told us not to look, Marion, we covered our eyes, Marion. Cover your <laughs> eyes. So, Ashley, uh, it wasn't very long into the movie that we had to issue our first snake trigger warning, and we had to issue a lot more as the movie went on. I feel like that first one might have been the hardest, but can you kind of let us know, is it better or worse? And what is the extent of your snake? Let's call it a concern. I don't want to say phobia. What is the extent of your snake concern? No, phobia is accurate. What's the extent of your phobia? It's very accurate. Okay, so let me backtrack and just start with the, the genesis. Oh, is that, a, is that a reference to the Garden of Eden? If so, well done. Yes. Perfect. So my snake phobia started with Ricky Tikki Tavi, which is a story in the Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. And I was read it. Someone read it to me in elementary school. And I woke up, I had the worst nightmares ever. I woke up hallucinating. I was very, very scared. And then, ever since then, it's just been fear. And I, they're, they're terrifying and I don't like them and they scare me very much. Ashley, the only thing I wanna tell you that might make you feel a little bit better, most of the snakes that were in the Well of the Souls are not actually snakes at all, but legless lizards. That doesn't make me feel any better. I was actually just thinking that shouldn't make That's anyone feel better. That's what a snake is. What is the difference between a legless lizard and a snake? There's literally no difference. I'm sure biologically no, there is. I, I don't know. All right. This was not a fun snake that was for not anyone. Helpful. I don't think they had fun filming it. I don't think they had fun like stalking it with legless lizards who looked a lot like snakes. I just, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. And there were two snake bites that happened in the film while filming, somebody who, a guy named Steve Edge, he was 21 years old, and the woman who was Marion's stunt double refused to be down there with the snakes, so Steven Spielberg was like, hey, can you shave your legs and put on a dress and we'll put you in there? And he was bit by a python. Now, pythons are constrictors, they crush their prey, but they do have some sort of anticoagulant in their saliva, so, when they bite Those you. So they're yeah. a source of unspeakable power. Well, yes, and he was bit several times. First of all, great on Marion's stunt double for knowing what was up. <laughs> but you couldn't have paid for me. that guy. You couldn't have paid me all Did the money in live? the world to go. To, oh yeah, he's fine. He, he. This is so. I got this from an interview in the New York Daily News um, from the 35th anniversary of the film. Wow. So he's fine. But there was a casualty. Oh no. A cobra bit a python. Oh, I don't no. care. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> no, snake on snake violence is not okay. They I were not meant it. to be together. No. Cobras and, and pythons are not designed to live together. Yeah. And they actually, so they, they kept the cobra in a glass, like when Harrison Ford has that yeah. close up. Oh my Very God. Very good piece of that glass face between to face them. Oh my with God. the cobra. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? But you, you can see the cobra spitting venom onto the glass. Oh my God, no. <laughs> so in terms of like 
whether the snake trigger warnings were fair and whether they were better or worse than anticipated. Um, we were, what did he say, threat level fuchsia, threat level crimson. When it was a close up of like the pit, you guys were saying beyond crimson. Uh, we ran out of, we ran out of, ran out colors, of colors, basically. And, you know, I was very surprised at, although the snakes uh, are an integral part of building Indiana Jones's character, um, I was very surprised at the, at how little screen time they actually had in comparison to the rest of the story. So, but when they're there, they make an impact. Oh, when they're there, they're they're everywhere. They are everywhere. They're um, they're, they're in the plane. Oh, it's my, the original snakes on a plane. Right. Yeah, and the sec I I screamed in. Yeah, you saw me. I screamed and hid myself. I was like, "Tell me when they're over." <laughs> but like, what what a way to start the film, right? right. Like he's, I I think Harrison Ford genuinely dislikes snakes. That was oh, not an yeah. act on his part. But it's a great way. I love that way of establishing, like, this is a fearless individual. He'll go into any situation. So resourceful. But he's still fallible. <laughs> he is still scared of snakes just like the rest of us. And I really enjoy that because the rest of the time he's doing all this crazy stuff that no person could really do. The the incredible action scenes running one to the other without a break. The escape from the well of the souls into the fight by the airplane into the uh, the truck, the famous truck chase. Um, it just doesn't stop. So this guy, like no real human could do this, but it's nice to know while we're watching him do these amazing things that he's still afraid of something and we know what it is. <laughs> so I wanna circle back, Ashley, a little bit to talk about your heritage. You're a person of Egyptian Jewish heritage. I know there's a lot of complex elements to unpack there, but tell us a little bit about your identity and what you thought of the film's portrayal of Egyptian people. So that's a really interesting question. Um, I am half Egyptian. My maternal grandparents were expelled from Egypt for being Jewish. Um, and the story that the stories that my grandmother has told me have and first of all, it's very hard to get her to share this, but it just speaks about a very scary place. Mm -hmm. You know, being harassed, being taunted, the government stealing their money and their cars and their jewelry, just creating such an environment of, of fear. So it was really interesting to go back in time into what they portrayed as Egypt and seeing, you know, Nazis walking around this, you know, this city that, you know, 20 years after the film's been set, was really just steeped in anti-Semitism. Um, but I feel like they had a really one-dimensional kind of mm -hmm. Egyptian, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and it just seemed like, yeah, just one-dimensional. I mean, you think of Egypt as being this really cool, exciting place with the hieroglyphics and the mummies and the sphinx and the pyramids and all of these great things. But the fact that the film does have a very archaeological angle to it, I was very surprised by how they omitted a lot of that from the characterization of mm -hmm. Egyptians. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though that's not a part of my heritage. And I was also very surprised by the little capuchin monkey, too. That backstabber. I know. Yeah. He I, was actually yeah. one of the worst villains in the film. Because he's so cute. 
Yeah, he's adorable. And you're like, here's a mammal, and this movie is awful. filled with evil he's reptiles. He's awful. Yeah. He sold her out. He yeah. tried to kill Indiana Jones. Yeah. I mean, he, he got died. what was coming to him. Oh, absolutely. He he's a good, he is yeah. good. Um, I also did notice that upon rewatch as an adult, that, um, not the monkey, the part of the, <laughs> um, the uh, Egyptian characters who, well, they don't really exist. The only character who's anybody is Jonathan Reese Davies, who is Gimli, and also an Egyptian in this. Um, and it's And it's kind of remarkable because he's the only character that's supposed to be Egyptian that we have actual any interaction with besides just a group of people saying you know chanting or screaming or digging or um just like they they the film has everyone act as like a group um so that was a little that did not age quite as well as i think and as it turns out they were all tunisian that's right this was filmed uh several locations but the egyptian stuff was filmed in tunisia and i'm also part tunisian what on the egyptian side yeah what we didn't even get to we talk even, about this before we started. Yeah. Okay, this is amazing. This yeah. is breaking right, news. Your people will, were all over this movie. Did she everything. also cheer when a Nazi truck drove through her fruit stand? Like, that's right. amazing. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Right. Yeah, not not sure, but it, you know, and I think you can tell that it's not yeah. Egypt. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, to the average American viewer, it's all the same place. We can't find it's either sand. one on the map. We don't know. Average. I'm yeah. saying average. This is statistically proven. We can't right. find anything anywhere. But North Africa, no way people are going to be able to name countries in North Africa. Probably not. I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. Anyway, that was judgmental. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the Jewish angle in this. Um, there's a couple different ways to approach this. The first is that it's kind of like a preemptive um, revenge fantasy because it takes place in 1936 before the Holocaust, but the villains are Nazis and we just love to see them die. Um, there's that aspect, and then there's the aspect of the fact that the entire plot revolves around the, you know, an incredibly important Jewish artifact. The Ark of the Covenant was supposed to have contained not just the um, Ten Commandments, which the Jews received at Mount Sinai, but also Aaron's staff, which if you recall, got turned into a snake in the Exodus story Ugh. and um, a jar of mana. So uh, it was supposedly lost after, um, well, there, you know, it, there's varying opinions about where the Ark went or when did it get lost, but it was a pretty dangerous thing in the Torah as well. There's quite a few instances of people just dying because they accidentally touched it or looked or, and it did not discriminate. Um, so the Nazis are looking for it in the film because it's essentially a weapon of mass destruction. And they also say, well, Belloc says it's a conduit, a conduit <laughs> for speaking to God, um, a radio or something, he says, for speaking to, speaking to God. And interestingly enough, um, in that scene at the end where they, the Nazis open the Ark, Belloc is wearing something, which is another um, item that the Jewish people has lost um, with the destruction of our kingdoms, which was the Orim Vitumim, and that's the that light-up breastplate that he's wearing with all the gemstones. Each gemstone on it uh, corresponds to a different tribe of Israel, and you ask questions of it, and it blinks and uh, tells you what you want to know. So I always wondered, watching this film, where did he get that? We spend the entire movie talking about like the getting the Ark, but 
where did he get the breastplate? Is a so, question that I have. Okay, he traveled to Egypt with a case of his own family's wine or hard liquor. We haven't decided right. what it is. They right. pour it like it's hard liquor. They right. get drunk like it's hard liquor, but it certainly appears to be wine. Anyway, this is a guy who doesn't travel light. But it's not even that he took it with him. It's like, why aren't we talking about the fact that this thing, this artifact was gone for thousands of years and whoop, it's back, you know? And that's the real conduit for speaking to God. Um, but they uh, left that part of the movie. So. I, didn't, I didn't even know. If you guys hadn't told me that there was Jewish themes, if, yeah. if, there, were, if, if there were Jewish themes to this movie, then I really just wouldn't have known. Yeah, well, they don't really come into play until the end because, you know, we, Indiana talks about it as just being another artifact, like any other artifact he looks for. It, he doesn't believe in anything. It's it's myths. It's still useful and, um, like, really great to get these things because of the historical significance, but he doesn't believe in it. Um, and so at the end, there's a quite a quite a bit of an about-face when he tells Marion to close her eyes so she doesn't see the ark being opened because he realizes this is real and they are all going to die if they look. Um, so I thought that was really kind of indicative of the whole film. It's like disbelieve, disbelieve, disbelieve. Oh, we got to believe real quick. Yeah. But did he believe? He didn't believe until things started glowing and noises started happening he, and yeah. guns started well, when, being disarmed. When the proof was there, i.e. Yeah. face melting. It was happening. Um, yeah. That faith does Although, not continue, even despite the fact that I he know. saw this in 1936. Yeah. In every subsequent movie, he is every subsequent movie. No, he is skeptical. So Dan and I have a disagreement here. He thinks that there are subsequent Indiana Jones films, and I know that there are no subsequent Indiana Jones films. Nothing was filmed after this. <laughs> there were what, like three or four? Sh- 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 I have a box set that would prove otherwise. Now, I'm not happened. saying I watch any of the other <laughs> That's films. That's fake news. But they're there. They're not great. Ashley, you do not have to watch the other three, soon to be four. Oh, God. Wait, what? Don't do it. Yeah. This is such a great film, and then they ruined it. Oh, my Ruined God. it by sequel. Sometimes you get, uh, you know, like a trilogy, and the second one's the best. Mm-hmm. Empire. Um, this was not the case here. I, I think that's that's definitely accurate. And, you know, Steven Spielberg has done this before. He made Jaws, and then other movies happened with the same name with a number after them. But Jaws was a masterpiece, and that's maybe, if we can find something Jewish about it, <laughs> let's try and have you watch that next. Because well, he you know, ruined a species of animal for all eternity. Now people hate sharks, scared of sharks, people hunt and kill sharks. Terrible thing that he did. Funnily enough, there's a Jewish creature called a Leviathan. It's not actually a shark, but it is a huge snake. Ah, no. Sorry. No. Um, just no. kidding. I'm just kidding. There was no, no trigger sea- warning no. at all. It's a sea monster. Um, but that's the only correlation I can see until our pod when I figure out the Jewish correlation with Jaws. Um, but let's talk about Spielberg for a hot second because I'm, uh, I'm annoyed with him now as an adult watching this movie. Yes, it's a great film, but I think we should talk about the character of Marion who I loved as a child because she's scrappy, she's tough, she's introduced in a great scene where she outdrinks um, some people under the table. Um, her name is vaguely close to my name, so I loved her. Um, but like, there's a lot of problems with what the filmmakers do with the character and what 
Spielberg and the producers had her backstory be. So it recently kind of came to light or re came, uh, was reintroduced that there was this interview with Spielberg and the producers where they talked about her character and how, you know, when they talk about her previous relationship with Indy, she was supposed to be 15. What? Yes. So that doesn't, it kind of gets swept under the rug when you're watching the film because they haven't seen each other in 10 years. It's never explicitly said in the film how old she was. But in that conversation, it is very clearly indicated that she's a teenager. And their relationship or the fallout of that relationship was the reason why Indy and um, her father, who was his mentor, fell out. Right? So it's a little problematic because she's a great character um, who has an amazing propensity to have frilly white dresses just gifted to her throughout the movie. Um, but that's one of the elements that I feel doesn't hold up as well is is um, her backstory. Well, to go back to my Egyptian heritage, my and this movie was what took place in, it was set in 1936. Yeah. My grandmother had an arranged marriage when she was 15. Right, that's a great point. So, you know, I definitely understand the creepiness the horrible like the the horrific aspect behind that and it's not something that we would expect from an American filmmaker but if you think about cultural deference at the time it does make sense and we meet her in Nepal yeah yeah she's in she's supposedly in Kathmandu which is incredibly snowy even though Nepal's well Kathmandu's weather is more like Jacksonville Florida than yeah. Mount Everest, but that's okay. It's what people think Nepal looks like. Yeah, I mean, you're totally you're totally right. Even now, um, various cultures have arranged marriage. This is not a criticism of that necessarily, um, but it is, I don't know, I just felt it was kind of weird that the producers had talked about the idea of her being so young, and they even talk in the interview about her leading him on, and how, you know, Yes, if it's of its time, there's nothing we can do about the way, you know, it was made. I think if that was done now, it would be quite different. And when you said leading him on, like she would lead him on. It, That's what the producers in Spielberg said, is that yeah. oh, when they started their relationship when she was 15, um, she was the one who really instigated it. So that reminds me of... Adam and Eve, right? And like tying it was not Eve's fault. Well, no, all I'm saying is and tying back to this idea of the snake, yes. right? Like there's a snake in the tree that coerces Eve into eating this apple and then she coerces Adam to eat the fruit too. So it's le- leading him into that sort of that realm as yeah. well. So in if you look at it from that perspective, you know, I feel like there's another, there's that tie. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack in that Adam and Eve story, which we will save for another time. Um, but but I think you're right that they want to sort of showcase her as a willing participant in their relationship and the adventures that they have subsequently, um, because she's she's game to except for the snakes, um, fight any Nazi, <sighs> outrun whatever hide out in a submarine, whatever they need. Like, she's really game to do it, yeah. uh, which is something that I really love and respect about her as a character. Um, there weren't, you know, 
I'm going to talk about the trilogy again, but oh, there were God. not a lot of strong female characters in no. the second film. And that's why I don't acknowledge the their female existence. character basically screamed the entire time. In the third film, the female character turned out to be um, Nazi. a Nazi, and Spoiler alert. that's not great. So, you know, Marion was um, the peak. Yeah. In this in this series, and that's not saying much because well, she's she, was, she was incredible i mean she yeah. was such a strong amazing character yeah. and you just root for her and then she's running down the you know going dee, dee. Yeah. yeah she was better than that i know she was better than that. i know yeah yeah she really was Ugh. i would have liked to see a movie about her whole like how did she get that bar in the middle of nowhere that she outdrinks people at. Like, what happened after her father died? Yeah, did, I mean, what, like, what, what did was he her do? Story? What did Professor Raven, Raven one? Raven one, how do I, I forget so. these things? How did Professor Ravenwood screw her over so badly that she's stuck, not tending a bar, but owning, owning a bar? a bar. In what I think Maybe, is either supposed to be Kathmandu or rural right. Nepal. I'm not sure. There's a lot of questions to her backstory, and I would like to know the answers to them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, we, we can't unpack this today, but right. offline, let's, let's try and go. I will tell you that while I was just doing a little research about this film, I came across a great website all about how Jews worship snakes and our souls are snakes. No. Yeah, oh, well, God. no, it's not. No. This is, <laughs> dear listener, this is not true. Um, but the website said it, so it must be. Um, but they, um, and it ties back to Adam and Eve, we'll never escape it. But yes, we are not snakes, um, nor do we worship a snake. So I think Why? that, you know, moving from snakes, I want to go back to that last scene in the movie because this yeah. was a really important scene. First of all, people's faces were melting, then it's they were really exploding, great. they were getting huge glowing um, holes in, through mm -hmm. their bodies mm -hmm. and then dying. Um, yeah. To look at this film as a proactive, proactive revenge fantasy. Yeah. You know, a, six years before the Holocaust. Yeah. Seven years before the Holocaust, that um, the Almighty knew what was going to happen, knew these people were bad, and killed the shit out of them. And that was very gratifying to yeah. me as a young Jewish boy growing up in the Boston Burbs. I have to say, I mean, you said that when you saw this movie for the first time uh, a couple days ago, um, you were holding back laughter. That hurt my heart, but I can understand it because it because it might come across <laughs> very differently. CG is not up to par. And I was very young. Now, is it the technical aspect of it, or was it like the whole thing that was going on? That oh no, thematically, I thought it was great, but it was just the execution of it was mm. was laughable. Yeah. Just and Grant, I know it was made in 1981. We've come a long way, <laughs> but you know. I I just I thought it was really uh, fun. There was something kind of Tim Burton esque of watching the wax or whatever melt off of mm -hmm. a skeletal doll with eyes popping out. I just I thought it was cool. Oh, it's and great. Funny. Um, it's so cathartic. Yeah, I just uh, from yeah. a tech standpoint, from an execution no pun intended standpoint, it was. <laughs> Amusing. I think we've come a long way since 1981, both in terms of feminism and in CGI. Yeah, and it's important to remember that throughout this face melting, face exploding, you know, <laughs> skeleton snakes and tarantulas and everything else, that this movie has the same rating as The Secret Life of Pets. Get out of here. It's rated PG. 
Not R. Right. PG-13 hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> so a five-year-old kid could stroll into the movie assuming that, you know, back in 1981, our parents did not watch us. I'll just tell you this much. They just let us go. And we did our thing. So let's say an eight-year-old walks down to the Burlington Mall from their house in Lexington, this probably could have happened, and bought a ticket to this movie. Uh, like Poltergeist, you're stuck with nightmares for a long time. I think it's very informative and educational. It, it is. It is. But I mean, it, it's it's gory. I mean, holy <sighs> shit. It's a gory movie. It could be so much worse, though. Yeah. I mean, if they like made the, it now, it'd be like some The second CGI one, which again, doesn't exist, but... Hypothetically, if it did, the second one would be way more gory. Yeah, absolutely. And when they do a reboot with some awful actor, you know, I'm sure they'll make this movie again. It'll be terrible and they'll use CGI and it'll just be more spectacular and less campy and I'll hate it and people will love it. And we'll be miserable. I'll just be, yeah, another part of my childhood in flames. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Ashley, what is your, your takeaway from watching this movie with us? My takeaway is that it's a great film, Snakes Aside. And something real quick that I did want to point out about Indiana Jones and snakes. Like, Indy's weapon of choice is a whip. Mm -hmm. And it looks like a snake. And he snaps it and recoils it and snaps it again like a snake attacking. And that's just how he goes around and navigates things and... And that's why Marion almost set his butt on fire in that scene where she holds the torch because she thinks it's a snake. Yeah. <laughs> but it is true. He is the thing he hates the most. Yeah. It just, he uses it as a weapon. Yeah, it's just like such a, a likeness. And I wonder what it is about snakes that scares him so much. Well, I think out of all of us, you really have the most insight into that. <laughs> so I've watched it 45 times. Do you think you will ever watch it again? Would you suggest it to a friend who hasn't seen it? I would definitely suggest it to a friend because I think it's a really great story. Um, Every time there was a snake in this viewing, I would jump and not look at the screen and had to have you guys tell me when it was over. (laughs) But if I had that again watching, I would definitely watch this film again if I had that component again um, because I can still see him getting close with that cobra and the hood oh my god no 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 Um, but I did not get nightmares which was excellent Um, but I I thoroughly enjoyed the film um, and would recommend it and I am curious to see the other films that don't exist I will I I have them you can you can totally borrow them there are the second one is atrocious and the third one is better Mm, debatable Does does his fear of snakes continue throughout? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the use of uh, things that make people grossed out continues in, especially the second movie. It is out of control. It if is you think next the first level. one is bad, the Temple of Doom is <sighs> live beating hearts bursting in flames after being pulled out of a guy's chest by hand. And that's not metaphorical. Uh, that a lot, cool. a lot of. Uh, Bugs. Six so and more-legged things. I just, sorry, trigger warning, but I try to give you six so to prepare you. No, I'm and the more, one who's triggered. And more-legged things doing their thing. Uh, and just all kinds. And then, and then this feast, this disgusting feast where, like, 
there's monkey brains and a snake that you cut open and little snakes come out and people oh, no, 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 she no. didn't need to know that it, it no. is repulsive so i'm gonna say don't watch the next two films and i thank you i thank you for overcoming something very difficult and watching this film yes thank because you we knew so it was much gonna be hard. for being so brave and allowing us to do this little experiment upon you <laughs> Your gratitude is all I need. This Miriam and I really enjoy it. <laughs> we did. <laughs> all right. So I want to thank you all for joining us on this adventure. If you like this podcast and hate snakes, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. And keep up with the vibe of the tribe by following at Jewish Boston on social media. And no snakes were harmed in the making of this podcast. In fact, one out of the three of us really likes them. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. 37 years ago, nearly to the day, the world's greatest and arguably least ethical archaeological... I can't say that word. Archaeologist. I can say it when I'm not doing it. 37 years ago, nearly to the day, the world's greatest and arguably least ethical archaeologist... Even though this movie is, you know, about an archaeological... Strike two. Strike two. Different, a different player. Archaeological. There we go.